Hello, everyone, and welcome to Open Observability Talks. I'm your host, Dutan Horvitz, and here at Open Observability Talks, we talk about anything DevOps, observability, and open source. So may the open source be with you. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Logs.io, the cloud-native observability platform for sponsoring us. Logs.io takes the best-of-breed open source projects such as Prometheus, OpenSearch, Jaeger, and offer them the unified observability platform built for scale. For those joining the live stream now on YouTube or Twitch, feel free to share questions and comments on the chat to make things more interesting for all of us here. And with that, let's move on to today's episode. At KubeCon Europe, just a, a few months ago, I saw the announcement of Fluentbit version 2, a major release with lots of new stuff. And uh, later, I caught up with uh, Eduardo uh, and heard some cool updates uh, and decided it's uh, way overdue, let's uh, put it this way, uh, to get an update uh, about it and share it with you, with uh, our audience. Eduardo Silva is uh, one of FluentD's uh, project maintainers and a creator of Fluentbit as well as a co-founder of uh, Calyptia, and uh, is perfectly the right person to take us through it. So without further ado, let's get Eduardo. Hey, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Eduardo? Doing fine. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, pleasure having you. Uh, actually, uh, we had uh, your fellow founder, uh, Anura Gupta, on the show. I think it was over a year ago, maybe closer to two years now. Uh, but so much has changed that uh, it's yeah. definitely uh, way overdue to sit down again and uh, and catch up. So uh, great to have you here on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, let's start with uh, maybe with, with FluentD, you know, the uh, uh, the veteran brother and uh, a graduated project of the CNCF being a, a CNCF ambassador. It's also a pride that these projects are CNCF projects. It's a graduated project, over uh, 12,000 uh, stars uh, and uh, more than 1,300 forks uh, on GitHub. I checked before the show. So, so many use it. Uh, I know even in, in my company at Logs.io, we, uh, we use that many users that I, uh, that I encounter and that I work with. So uh, it's definitely highly popular. But uh, for those who are the few that are not familiar with FluentD, give us the, the very short uh, uh, background about the project. Sure. Um, one of the challenges when you start deploying applications, you know, you make sure that your application is kind of working, but then your journey doesn't stop right there. After that, you might want to analyze the data being generated by your applications. It can be your login information, errors, warnings, and sometimes, uh, you know, be able to take actions based on this analysis. But when you if you will go back to 2014 15 with all the hype of um, distributed systems kubernetes docker was very popular at that moment and people start decoupling the applications right this information started to go multiple places also uh, before this journey we got similar problem where we got different for, for example hardware devices like firewalls or applications in java applications in PHP or any kind of fancy language at that time, everybody was generating logs in a different format through a different type of transport. Some of them were used in the network. UDP, like syslog, is pretty common. Other, the file system. And if your final goal is to analyze data, right, that's what you want to do. 
the next question is how, you might realize, oh, I need to take this data and centralize it in some place so I can run my own queries. And this is the challenge. How do I deal with data from multiple sources, from multiple destinations, and then moving forward at scale, right? And FluentD was a project that was born in 2011 at Treasure Data at that moment because they, they used to have a, like a Hadoop as a service and they wanted to make sure that customers could ingest data into the platform as any vendor, right? As much data you ingest, you know, you get we get a bigger bill at the end of the month and everybody's happy, but at least from that the vendors. The big data boom. Everyone was doing big data. Hadoop was the yeah. whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and one of the challenges was, oh, hey, how to move all this, this data that is, exists in different places, data centers, on-prem, well, previous cloud, to a place for analysis. And FluentD was one of the first open source agents that was around that was able to talk to different formats, collect data in different ways, but also provide capabilities to process the data before the data hits the final destination. I think that one of the smart decisions that was by, made on by Sara, the creator of FluentD was like, hey, I'm gonna make it with a pluggable architecture. So right now it's for treasure data, but then anybody else can write their own plugins to collect data from different sources or different type of filters or output destinations. Today, there are more than a thousand plugins for FluentD available wow. written by the community, right? If you go to the GitHub repository of FluentD, there are not many changes, it's quite small, but if you go to the RubyGems uh, website and you will find the Fluent plugins, uh, you know, gems available, yeah, thousands. And, and FluentD solved that problem. And well, the, the technology was, was chosen at that time was uh, Ruby. Actually, one of the stories that uh, I just learned recently is like everybody say, oh, what is written Ruby? Ruby is not that fast for a system level application service. But actually, Ruby was chosen to write the POC of FluentD because the final goal was to write it in C at that time. But the, it worked out well. It started working, people started writing plugins, and okay, it continued as a, it was working out. And then uh, when I joined the company, we got this mission, hey, we need the same solution, but for embedded Linux, because in 2015, everybody was talking about embedded Linux, your microwave is gonna be connected to the internet, we'll be talking to you. Uh, uh, IoT, everyone wanted IoT everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> IoT, right? And, and the same problem that you, you if you abstract from the, the stuff of deploying applications and getting data out um, as information of what's happening, will happen with devices too, because devices will, purely run software, right? It's like your car. Your car is full of software with sensors and you can extract the information. And FluentD was not suitable for that. It was written Ruby, it's a bit heavy, right? Uh, you had to download, I don't know, a couple of dozen of gems to make it work. So FluentD was born to solve this problem of IoT at that time. But at the same time, you might recall that uh, Kubernetes was, you know, was born in 2014. The CNCF was created. And every, is it, this hype started around distributed systems, uh, Kubernetes, but it's the same story happens again. You get a new platform, you, you deploy your applications, and then how do you analyze your data? And FluentD was the first choice. We donated the project and with FluentBet on it, right? Because they were kind of same family projects. The project got graduated. It was adopted by Red Hat, all major cloud providers like Google, Microsoft, AWS, and well, all companies kind of follow what the stack that 
uh, bigger cloud providers for users, right? And I, I yeah. think I shared when, when you're offline, I shared with the audience, I think one of the uh, most impressive stats that uh, I saw in your presentation back at uh, Observability Day uh, uh, at KubeCon was 6.3 billion downloads back then. I, I'm sure it's by now even higher than that for Fluent, uh, from Fluentbit, right? Yeah, uh, with all this traction, um, well, now all companies move prim prim primarily from FluentD to Fluentbit because of performance reasons. Fluentbit, we achieved uh, like a month, a half ago, 8 billion wow. downloads, and we are expecting to hit 10 billion in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> it's insane, right? It's an insane growth. And we are happy to pivot from the, you know, this very small market from IoT that, you know, it was a different type of monster to the cloud where this exploded. And yeah, happy that we're solving the problem for, I don't know, thousands of users. So, so FluentD, as far as you're concerned, was more focused on IoT types of use cases? or uh, Because I, I know many people using it for, for broad, like a classic uh, computing type, but I'm curious about what, what's your focus as you see it. Oh, sorry. No, I, I meant to say that FluentD was created to work in normal Linux boxes, mm. like VMs, bare metal machine. Fluentbed was designed to work on embedded Linux. But then no. we pivot the project yeah. for, for cloud. We created Kubernetes filter, processors, same as FluentD. So we started to bring this parity, right, that existed to, for, to create data pipelines mostly. So today, um, if you depict it uh, today, so before it was very clear to say, okay, you recommended FluentD for, for a classic and this is for IoT. Today, how would you explain the, these projects, the differentiation, maybe the best fit when, when new users that may, might be a bit confused, what, what would be your guidelines in terms of, uh, of these two projects? Yeah, we, we have a confusion around the marketing of the project and organization because if you go to GitHub, you will see that the organization is not called FluentD. Actually, it's Fluent, yeah. right? And FluentD was a project because, oh, it was the demon set, and I think that Fluent.com was taken. <laughs> so, hey, let's call the project FluentD. And then Fluentbit was born under the Fluent organization, right? So, yeah, FluentD keeps being the, the parent project is what people knows and and Fluentbit has been always like the, the small brother in the same in the same family and yeah we have some ongoing conversations to not rebrand rename the projects but making sure hey the organization is fluent but not fluent because this generate confusion and as as developers we always wanted that users has the choice right they can decide what type of agent to to use for their own problems but but again, when you uh, look at these two projects and you come a new user that uh, just sees the the, the 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 entire ecosystem and landscape of of the CNCF is confusing. I had this discussion also here on the show with uh, with the CTO of the CNCF, Chris Anacek. But even when you look specifically about the let's call it the fluent family uh, and and new users that are not uh, uh, in the nitty gritty details, but trying to understand, okay, so what would be the right choice for me, for my system, for my use case. What would be your advice knowing these two projects and being the maintainer of these two projects? What would be your, the, your guidelines about choosing the right one of these two? Yeah, um, 
I will talk uh, by using our from our users' uh, experience. I think that all of them that were long-term Fluentd users, majority of them, including cloud providers today, switched fully to Fluentd. And I think one of the problems that you have in the in the market and infrastructure is like every year you are generating 20 to 30% more data. And one thing that you don't want is that your agent cannot process that data, right? And Fluentd was designed for very constrained environment, but for really high processing capabilities. And that's why Google moved to Fluentd, Amazon and Microsoft, all of them to Fluentd. Even if you go, for example, to GKE, Google Cloud, and you deploy Kubernetes, you will find that Fluentd is running in there, right, on every single agent. And there's an inter interesting intersection point here um, because I, I get this question a lot, hey, should I use Fluentd or Fluentd? And now from a maintenance perspective, I'm saying, yeah, all the innovation pieces are happening in Fluentd because that's what people is preferring now, right? But Fluentd community, people still contribute, create Ruby gems. There's still a lot of usage of that product. It might be around for another 10 years. I don't think that is going away. Nice, nice. Actually, I am curious. I'm, I'm also passionate, not just about open source, uh, but also about communities. And the, the community around Fluentd is actually amazing. And I'm wondering, as, as one of the people who built out this community, how do you get this uh, way of an active community that is not only consuming the project, uh, but also contributing back, creating plugins, maintaining and evolving the plugins in, to the extent that you say, hey, even if the core team has switched to Fluentbit, the, the lively community is carrying on with the Fluentd. That, how do you get to that point of building out this, this activity in the community? Yeah, I would say that first a community has been created organically, right? It was not meant to get, oh, we're going to create a community and we did XYZ, it was created. I think that we started in the early days of the project and the company that was involved uh, at Treasure Data they were very supportive in open source from day zero. And they told us, hey, whatever we need for the project to succeed as a side project, there was no business plan around it, right? Hey, if we, got, we can go to a conference to talk about the project, engage with the users, that will add more value to the project. And years after that, I started my, started, we started this company called Caliptia, which is enterprise chapter of Fluent. Uh, we take the same approach. Day zero, we're going to hire maintainers. We're going to invest in genuine resources on the projects. And I think the community value a lot that we keep connected with them, right? It's like, yeah, we are wearing our business hat, but then we go to the community. We got these community community meetings every two weeks. We hear to, about the, the pains from the users. And always trying to see and think, hey, how we can collaborate, how we can solve this problem that maybe you are not yet you facing it, right? There might be, I don't know, 100 companies under the same problem. Because that, uh, I don't know, we will think, I think that people behind the Fluent and may, maybe having other projects too, we try to innovate. We try to uh, set the pace of how this needs to evolve. It's not about to just ship one software that just works and just, we just maintain it, but I think that it always can can improve over time. And if you ask me why people keeps coming, it's because there's innovation. That's what I would say. 
but you can ask them, right? <laughs> no, no, but I'm just curious because I see so many young projects that are struggling with building. So they have their own core team, especially projects that uh, arise from vendors. So they have the engineering of that vendor uh, uh, contributing, obviously, but getting a wider circle that will be actively involved is not trivial. And it's amazing to see that around the Fluent D. So I was wondering if you have some, some tips for the newer projects trying to build out such a oh. successful community. Yeah, I think that we are lucky enough to be in a context of work where there's a lot of pain by moving there. So it's, I think that using Fluent is not optional, right? It's like <laughs> you have to pick one between Fluent and others or maybe all of them together, right? Yeah. At least from a Fluent philosophy, we try to connect with who are competitors, products that are competitors, because that's a way to get more value for the end user. But uh, yeah, if an advice would be a learn about the pain points of the users. Uh, it's really easy to get in love with technology, creating a really cool engine. But if that doesn't add a lot of value for the user, you know, they will say, oh, it's cool, but maybe I don't need it. Right? Yeah. Build something and, and that you uh... And you built, you mentioned Calyptia, and Calyptia actually provides like an enterprise edition, right? An enterprise product, or how did you build the, uh, the, the commercial offering around it? Yeah, this is the, the, the menu question. I, well, we are an open source commercial company, COS, maybe you have heard about the, the concept, yeah. where Fluentbit, it's in kind of a DNA of the, our products, right? And our products, who is the major person who benefit from that is an enterprise. So what we build is like a telemetry pipeline solution that maybe you can solve the same with Fluentbit by having five engineers working 24 by seven, right? To because maintain data pipelines and to solve the problem for different stakeholders in the company for a long period of time is complex. So our product comes to simplify all these complexity around configuration, data pipelines, how to bring the business, the, sorry, the business uh, logic into the pipeline, because it's not just that one move data from A to B, it's also extract the data, process the data, and send the data out. And you will be surprised that uh, all company has very crazy needs around this. For example, you can do very simple processing like add a key, remove a key, but then you have, I don't know, a financial institution that tell you, you know, I'm moving a lot of transactions here and in the transactions in the records, I have the credit card numbers, but I cannot send that information to my backend because it will be consumed by another team and there's a kind of policy. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, you can drop this record, this key, and they tell you, oh, but I have a, a more custom business requirement. It's like, if this is an American Express, I have to do XYZ. If it's a MasterCard, another type of logic, if it's an American Express, a different type of logic or send the data to a different backend. So when you get to these very enterprise use cases, right, this is where a product helps you to reduce time, right, and solve this problem because nobody wants to be configuring pipelines the whole day. <laughs> Your final goal, as I said at the beginning, is to analyze data. And now we find users that with our product, we are able to move certain analytics part that used to be happening in the backend, sorry, in the final, like for example, Splunk, Elastic, they're moving certain analytics to inside the data pipeline so they can have, you know, a smarter decision is don't send this data or drop it or send it to a different backend. Yeah, 
Nice. It's, it's an interesting angle. Uh, so you mentioned uh, that most of the uh, innovation that uh, that you and the maintainers put these days go to FluentBit, the, the younger brother, the younger sibling of, of FluentD. So uh, let, let's talk about a bit. Of, uh, and then I, I was there, as I mentioned, hearing about uh, FluentBit version 2, a major release and everything. So Uh, can you tell us the, in, in broad strokes uh, about the new uh, new features that uh, were introduced uh, to FluentBit in the, in the major release? Yeah, slightly on uh, the major version one, we standard to extend the scope, we used to just do login, right? But internally, if you look at FluentD and FluentBit, for us, the data is quite of agnostic, right? The data could be whatever we want, right? And we just care about Hey, how to connect certain analytics or telemetry pipe sorry telemetry backends in a different way so what we did was to start extending the support to native metrics payload so a fixed schema that we have inside fluent beta specifically but also with that we were able to extend and connect Prometheus backends and receive and send data over remote right and then we extend it to open telemetry metrics. And we have all these conversion layers between one type of schema versus the other plus the transport pieces. Because when moving data, things can go wrong in many ways, right? Right now, I just got my Wi-Fi. <laughs> I just lost my Wi-Fi, right? It's very normal to get a network outage to get unresponsive backend. And the thing is that how reliable you can be in order to make sure that that data doesn't get lost and doesn't... It doesn't affect your production environment and you can still continue operating, right? And, and there are different approaches for, approaches for that. But when we extended the, this scope, we found that also people who were using, for example, I don't know if you have you heard about the agents fatigue. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, where people have multiple agents for different things and people were starting to approach us and they tell us, hey, would you be able to implement this, for example, Prometheus not export the feature as a FluentBit plugin? And my ask was, why? Is that because, hey, you can do collection, you can send the data, you can process the data, but and I don't want to manage multiple agents. Oh, that makes sense. So, for example, we took Prometheus not exporter and we do we did a couple of copy-paste from Golang into C code, instant FluentBit, and that now is a plugin. And we ship the same metrics, same label, same descriptions. So you can remove one agent, get the same Prometheus experience through FluentBit and continue using the, your same dashboards. And I think that is a, is a huge value because you also reduce the overhead of the server, right? And people get a ton of value. This is the same agent, same experience. I don't need to learn something new. It's the same thing that I already have in my environment. That was for metrics, right? The same is happening with open telemetry. It's, it's mostly used for traces. I would say, yeah, metrics and metrics are there right now. Logs is still, is market stable, but uh, I just knew a few people who are using open telemetry logs today. So I would say that might need more feedback, but at least from the fluent bit side, we extended the scope to support all the payloads from uh, open telemetry. And the innovation piece comes here is not just we're going to extend to support multiple telemetry data data types. It's about, hey, our users doesn't have a single type of environment where just does logs. They also do metrics, they do traces, and they have Prometheus, and they are using open telemetry in their endpoint, and they are using different things. 
Yeah. And they struggle to connect the things and it, it's really hard. And by experience, since the early days of FluentD, there's no, you were never finding production just one single tool that does everything. Actually, what do you find? Most of the values with tools that can integrate, right? Extract value, but without being a drop-in replacement because it's drop-in replacement takes time. And yeah, well, innovation piece, there, there's a lot of work doing, but I think that the, the biggest one for 2.0 was the formal logs, metrics, and traces story. Yeah, and, and that's very much aligned with what uh, I see also in the industry across the board. So uh, uh, with with the Fluent bit, you did that, and uh, and Telegraph moved from metrics the other way, from metrics to extend to uh, logs and traces, and you saw what uh, Elastic did with uh, unifying all the uh, bits into uh, one uh, one uh, agent. And uh, so it's definitely the, the the trend across the board. Not to mention uh, Open Telemetry that you mentioned that uh, from day one decided to tackle the three uh the three uh telemetry types and even beyond uh and, and uh, look at it as a unified uh, approach so it's it's definitely interesting to hear the support for uh, time series data that you have uh, built into a uh, fluent bit and especially the support for exporting it as uh for ingesting sorry uh, a prometheus format because i think this is today especially in the cloud native world the uh the de facto standard so it's definitely something that will enable many of the uh users to use fluent bit also in the uh, metrics side of the house um uh any by the way any any other uh, updates that you uh wanted to uh, to share with the audience oh sure yeah and well right now this year we will be just fully on fluent bit version 2 and iterating extending uh, more connectors for example the enterprise is asking for these connectors like google chronicle it's like a special service for security things we just uh, shipped that one. Um, we are doing a lot of work in the Windows area, right? Uh, people always laugh at Windows, but hey, if you go, we talk to a couple of banks once in a while, and they have 100,000 deployments with Windows uh, running from bit today, right? And they primarily did it for collecting logs. And now everybody, hey, can collect also the metrics from, from Windows servers? Yeah, so with the same thing that we did for Linux, we did it for Windows, so we now, can collect native metrics from Windows. And, and well, we're solving that that problem at a, at a very high scale. Yeah, Windows is not a pleasant, uh, you know, operating system to work with, <laughs> to be really honest. But yeah, we got thousands of users. A lot of them had this problem. Hey, it's something that we have to tackle. Somebody has to do it, right? Yeah. And I think that we are in a really strong position to do it and happy to support all of that. I'm not a Windows developer, right? There's other people from the community who contributes all these pieces. And in traces, uh, well, we didn't talk about traces. Uh, yeah, if you support open telemetry protocol, you have to support traces. I think that at the moment, we don't have um, all the processing parts for traces, but that we will start extending based on demand. So maybe we can process metrics, we can process logs, but for traces, it's just we can do selection, but maybe just send them out. Uh, yeah, if you want to have more uh, more strong experience with traces, uh, you can want to do tail and something like that. Yeah, tail-based yeah. sampling, or mm -hmm. usually these are the typical things that you get in the in the ingestion part of the uh, the traces. Yeah, you, today you can use the open telemetry collector, right? You can do so you can centralize all your traces in there. 
Yeah. But at least for everything else, where it's logs and metric, I think that Fluentbit has been working really great. We get really good feedback. Yeah, it's really exciting to get team to achieving 10 billion downloads from Docker Hub from containers, but also that means more bugs, more community that needs uh, more support, right? It's uh, It becomes an, a tough job from a maintenance perspective because every line that you write, and I'm not talking just by me, uh, I'm talking about most of the maintenance that writes times more code than I'm writing today. And yeah, this will go to production. It will be deployed 100,000 nodes and make, it, make sure that you don't break any, anything, right? Yeah, and, that, yeah, for sure. And, and yeah. by the way, what you said about Windows, that's uh, a known problem, I think. Actually, just uh, a week or two ago, uh, uh, my team released a few fixes for uh, open telemetry on, on the Windows side because, let's face it, most of, most of the maintainers on open telemetry are not Windows people. And even bare things, like you, the, you, you only get the packaging as a tarball and the Windows users like zip still. <laughs> so even getting the, the ability to have a zip version of that... Uh, it's something that wasn't there and we added that a couple of weeks ago and the things that were uh, uh, some other things that didn't work well in, in the Windows version when you ran it as a service because I guess whoever did the testing just ran it locally but not as a service and things may get messed up when it's a service format. So uh, Windows always gets, uh, gets less attended in these ones but uh, very important and uh, someone needs to uh, to pick up uh, also there. So uh, that, that's, that's a known, known issue definitely. Uh, and and you mentioned the the, the rich suite of uh, of plugins. I'm just wondering uh, with FluentD, you talked about it before. Uh, lots of uh, contributions from the community, the Ruby gems that you mentioned. Can you tell us a bit about the uh, community behind the the plugins? How much is the core team, and how much is is uh, is it active community contributions around that? Yeah, sure. Uh, FluentD has a different plugin mechanism than FluentD. FluentD, well, based on Ruby, was kind of a small core and you pull the gems, so they become plugins for FluentD and extensions. In FluentBit, when the project born, uh, personally, I, I took the, the opposite approach because it's like, okay, this is sounds too heavy. I found that people are struggling to build a bundle or something that works for them. Hey, let's build all the plugins inside the agent, right? Kind of a Golan binary where you have everything, the same thing. But hey, we are in C, so there's some <laughs> some challenges. So what we did was kind of write almost everything by hand and from scratch. HTTP clients, OAuth2, mechanism, security. Well, we use OpenSSL, for, of course. We're not going to do reinvent crypto libraries. Or, and, and, and I think that from that perspective and the way to build plugins in Fluentbit today, even in C, is really simple because it, the API abstracts a lot of the complexity of networking uh, failures, TLS handshakes, uh, events-based mechanisms, all of that is works behind the scenes. We have a really cool architecture with threads, coroutines, and it works great. But when people want to extend beyond that and they don't know C, for example, one of the first pain for them was, hey, I need to create more filters for my own use case, like I explained to you in... Yeah. with its credit card. That's why Lua was born. The Lua filter was born. So you can write your own modification script that goes into a configuration and just works. And now we get to a different point in the project where people has like, have seen configuration with 40 filters chained together. It's insane. 
And it was like, okay, this is wrong. <laughs> it, it should, yeah, this will become the next bottleneck. And what we did in Fluent Bit 2.0, we implemented this concept of processors, right? What is different that in, in previous versions, it's like normally from a high level, you have input filters and outputs, period. Now, inputs and output plugins can run in separate threads. So they can consume other CPUs, right? Or CPU cores. But all the main event loop that orchestrate everything plus filters was in the main thread. If you have more filters, yeah, you get more. That will become your next bottleneck if you extend too much. So what we did to, it was to implement the concept of processors that runs together with the input plugins or the output plugins in a very agnostic API. You can use, reuse the same filters, but they can run in separate threads. So now you can scale up by moving that workload processing to different CPU cores and different threads. And processor has been a really good. You can reuse, for example, the, the Lua filter in, in processor mode. And processor, the difference with filters is like they don't go through a routing mechanism. So they just run from top to bottom in the configuration. And those are just supported in the new YAML schema configuration format that we have. We from video to have a, a what we call a classic configuration mode, and now we're just uh, pushing also a, a party with YAML. You know, uh, I think that has been really successful for people in the cloud native space because all the tooling plays well with YAML. Uh, there's no beautiful config format, right? Fluent is, is XML. We invent our own format with Fluent Bit, but I think that we're going to default to YAML shortly. Uh, everyone is a YAML engineer these days, so uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but the, what you said about the uh, making it uh, parallel processing, the multi-core, that sounds definitely like uh, something that would uh, give a, a superior performance. That sounds uh, sounds exciting. Um, uh, and and you mentioned the, before the thing about Kubernetes. I think you did some uh, interesting things around Kubernetes events, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so many news. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, or talking about you mentioned performance. Uh, I always this make this analogy that when people talk about performance, people think about how fast this car can go, right? But people who knows has more experience think about how fast this car can go, plus how much gas I need for that, right? And in computing, it's the same, right? You can have a very, really fast uh, tool or agent, but also a hey, how much power you need to process that. Oh, yeah, I need five servers. Hey, that's wrong. <laughs> and and I'm talking about the private product around. And at least with Fluent Bit, we make sure that we can have a very high throughput. Uh, so use the resources that we have in a very smart way that can give us more processing power in less time, but even using less CPU that we different type of architectures. And now going back, this is from the performance uh, perspective. So in the second point was the... So you talked about the performance, that's one, but secondly about uh, Kubernetes, the events oh, plugin, Kubernetes. right? Uh, to pull yeah. the Kubernetes events into the system? Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> so, like so from day, I think that from year 2018, we support the Kubernetes filter inside Fluembed. That means that when we collect the logs, we can enrich the logs with labels and annotations. And now recently we get this need like, hey, my Kubernetes 
uh, cluster generate events that also I need to analyze for security purposes or general analysis. So we just ship a new plugin that also is called uh, Kubernetes events in the input side that just connects to the API server and is able to retrieve all the events by default, or you can select certain namespaces and ship them as normal logs over the over the pipeline. And yeah, we're getting a lot, a ton of uh, good feedback about a lot of good feedback about that. I think that is becoming the next default if you are an agent in Kubernetes. So happy that we were able to ship that really quickly. I think that the plugin was created in less than one week or so. Oh wow, that, that that's impressive. So most of the plugins, just to understand the architecture, are these done by the core team, or is that something that the external uh, uh, contributors can uh, write uh, plugins? Uh, just to understand the dynamics and how it's different or same as as Fluentd in terms of the activity of the community in creating generating plugins. Oh yeah, it, it's different case by case. For example, Google maintains their own Stack Driver plugin. They they for example the Stack Driver teams contributes and have engineers working in stack driver plugin inside Fluentbit, which is part of the core. So they just work directly on upstream. For example, we have the Datadog plugin that was contributed by Datadog. And different companies contribute to the own connector that either was missing or we start we just created. And they saw they saw a ton of value because hey if we have thousands of users using this agent, we might have a connector. I think Nightfall is another company. I think Splunk contributed some time to their own Splunk connector. And yeah, it's, it's fun because uh, so the, the fun part here is like people contribute by, by need, right? They need to solve a problem or they need to solve a business problem. And they find a good value by investing time and hours in, in Fluentbit. I think we don't have like a send this is a project based in C language. We don't have a thousand contributors in the code. I think that we are a bit over 300 in total. Hmm. But now, hmm. uh, yeah, because most of our people solve the problem with processing with Lua. Now, uh, well, with version two and also a couple of months ago, we improved the, the WASM interface. So you also can create plugins in WASM for the input or filters. So if you're using the WASM layer, you can use Python, you can use Rust or anything, yeah. or any other fancy language that uh, you like. <laughs> Go, I think you also added, right? Go in the Opal plugin. Yeah, we shipped that yeah. a while ago in 2019, I think. It was a very experimental thing, but yeah, it worked out well. Nice. And uh, I think you're you're planning on announcing, uh, we have uh, we're now uh, at August, and uh, in, in a couple of months' time, we're going to have uh, KubeCon North America. I think the big announcement is going to be around uh, version 2.2, if I'm not mistaken. Do you want to tell us what's... Uh, give us a teaser about what's, uh, what's up and coming? Yeah, well, I don't want to do spoilers <laughs> here, but okay, 2.2 is coming uh, for KubeCon. That will be, a, well, maybe end of October, the release uh, will be ready. Uh, one of the pain points that we found with the community was around monitoring of the agent, right? So at, at, at any kind of project where you get the problems at different layers, right? We used to have a connectivity functionality and now are more around usability or how to make easier to create these pipelines. So yeah. one of them, uh, well, it's about the monitoring of the agent, which has been a new endpoint with new Grafana dashboards so people can get more insights. Uh, we are preparing another uh, secret project, which is a terminal UI-based project for Fluentbit. 
right? That you can monitor, you can scrape this this stuff and get some charts in your terminal. It, it's pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna share some information around October. It's it's looking pretty pretty cool. And the other is around well, performance improvements. And I always mention this and people will say, oh, why are you talking always about performance? Because there's more demand, right? There's always more demand. Uh, oh, if you're now able to process, uh, I don't know, 100,000 messages per second, now we need 120. Okay, what's the next bottleneck? How we can improve it? How we can uh, adjust the architecture? So performance will always there. Uh, we are now working closely now with a person who's writing a Fluent Bit book. It doesn't start from us. It started from Phil Wilkins, who created the Fluent D book. He started creating now the Fluent Bit book. So, and we say, you know, we should work together. At least as maintainers, we're going to, to contribute in the revision edition of the book. Because one thing that we notice with uh, technical books, uh, it happens to one person that I know that wrote the Kubernetes on the H book. Uh, the problem is that he chipped the book after writing a book, disclaimer, takes 12 months, if not, if not, if not more. The moment that you ship the book, maybe some of commands or configuration that used to be supported at that time are not longer available or they're deprecated. This happened to him, right? Chapter yeah. one and two is broken because they deprecated a bunch of things in K3S. So, and it's all, Phil, I don't want that this happen to you. So we want to make sure that whatever we ship in the next version, either Fluent Bit 3, we were thinking at that time, or 2.2, uh, yeah, we'll be working for your version. And if we're moving to YAML, if we're moving to more collection of metrics and, I don't know, open telemetry payloads type, let's make sure that you have the, the right support from us because, yeah, this is kind of new, has been there for more than one year, but I want to make sure that your readers and people who use Flambit and consume this book can get a good experience. Now, Windows improvements are coming more and more. We keep shipping more metrics for Windows. I would say that there's no like a really big new future, right? Because we're still, there's a lot of things to tackle, even still in logs, in metrics, in traces, in processing. And YAML will improve too, right? The way that we support YAML today works. It's fine. But I think we need to do some improvements from the tooling who just does a YAML strict mode which is more, uh, you have to use lowercase, uppercase, yeah. right? We just use underscore like in the old way, the classic mode, we need to fix that. And yeah, we will have more news around traces too, how to select traces, you know, and how to not to correlate all of them and not to correlate all the metrics, sorry, all the, the data type, the telemetry data types when they go through the pipeline because that is aggregation, but when we're doing doing some selection through processors. So certain traces that are not useful, you can discard them right away. You can write the, run the Lua filters on top of them. I think that that part is really interesting. And one of the challenges that we found with people um, doing tracing, maybe you can elaborate on that. You have more experience than, than me on that. It's like, yeah, I'm receiving all the traces in, in, in my collector, for example, but I don't need all that data and, and the collector also is processing so much data that maybe we can discard them, right, from the edge, right, where the SDK is sending this information. There's a bunch of architectural solutions, right? Put the collector on on this on the on the on the edge node, but they're telling me, hey, we have Fluentbit already. Can you do the with something with this? And then chip from here to the collector or any type of backend that support the same protocol. So there's a lot of experimentation and, and news around connecting all these type of use cases. 
class and we're working hard with the community to create trainings. And right now we are running, for example, the new Fluent Beat webinar series, summer series that are being out. Uh, we have one today. I think it's running at the sec- same time. <laughs> yeah. nice. I think it's today or tomorrow. Yes? I'm just I think tomorrow, to... if, I, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, yeah, I saw tomorrow. someone posting on that. Yeah, yeah Anurag and Thiago is, is running that one. So this community can it will be really good if you can join. And yeah, so I think, yeah, performance, YAML, Windows processors for traces, a more processor for matrix. So a lot of things that are being uh, really useful for, for people. And yeah, we're preparing for Fluent Beat version three also, which is the next year we plan to launch it on Paris in KubeCon 2024. Exciting, great. So um, uh, definitely uh, uh, for our audience, check out uh, uh, the Fluent Beat team uh, at Open Observability Day, at the, pre, the, the pre-KubeCon uh, event uh, that week, and then obviously at KubeCon itself, in Chicago uh, in November. Uh, and until then, uh, do you want to share with the audience where they can uh, reach out? I know that there is a very active uh, uh, Fluent Slack, but uh, do you want to share where, where, where to find you, where to uh, reach out to uh, the community? Yeah, uh, well, there's a couple of channels. Asynchronous communication Slack is always good. Uh, if you go to FluentD or FluentBit website, you will get the Slack link. It's Fluent-all, but yeah, you get a shortcut in there. Uh, the other is that Twitter for more random communication. Actually, sometimes we get asked for help in, in Twitter. GitHub is also another resource, but we have the FluentBit community meetings happening every two weeks, right? That are, have been very useful. So people from different companies join us. They share about their use cases. And we are there to just try to help as much as we can uh, with suggestion or listening about the struggles that they might have with FluentD or FluentBit and try to see how we can, uh, at, at least for people who are from different companies in that call, we can prioritize in our roadmaps. Nice. What, what time zone is the uh, are the meetings taking place? Oh, we're running in both in both time zones. I can share mm, that nice. maybe after the call, so you can post it on. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, share the reference to the uh, community, and uh, I think the uh, community calls are, for any project are amazing. Yeah. So uh, if you are Getting into that, that's a good place to uh, hear and to actually share also your pain. Highly recommended. And for you, uh, where can they find you and reach out to you? Yeah, so before how to reach out to me, one big ask. We are running the Fluent Bit survey this year, right? One of the challenges that we have, another challenge we have is like, we have a ton of users, right? And we get a huge community, but sometimes it's hard to understand where the struggle are or how we can do a better job for them, for the community. So we're running this uh, this survey that is published in the FluentBet and FluentD website. So if you go to the main site, you will find a banner, click here. It's a survey, it's totally community-based. The CNCF is helping us to promote the survey too. So if you, if you are listening to this recording, please help us with your information around your use case. Now, how to reach out to me? Twitter. GitHub, uh, Cyper, Eduardo Silva Pereira is my, my handle on all the social media or just send me a direct message. I, I still open and I, every day <laughs> I receive some weird message. and But I will keep it open because some people has been, uh, you know, have been reaching out for help, for assistance. It has been a really good uh, channel for that. Um, and when, if you want to follow the Calitia handle too, happy to promote that and we can help from another angle. 
That's great. That's great. And uh, thank you very much. And uh, do stay with me for the uh, last part of the show, which is, as always, the breaking news. And today, uh, I have uh, quite a few uh, updates that I wanted to share with the community. First of all, uh, is uh, Prometheus that uh, now supports uh, OTLP. Uh, recent enhancement enables Prometheus to ingest uh, open telemetry metrics using a new OTLP compatible ingestion endpoint. Um, the pull request of this feature has just been merged uh, uh, end of last week, so it's really fresh and uh, will be available as part of the next release of, of Prometheus. Um, obviously, it's it's still experimental, so uh, it's under a, a feature flag, so uh, be aware of that. But uh, if you want to, uh, to hear more about that, uh, I'm posting... Uh, on the comments here for the uh, live stream audience, and I will also post uh, for the obviously for the uh, for the listeners on the podcast apps uh, a short uh, brief on that, uh, which is also very similar to what you said. You recognizing that Prometheus is uh, uh, is is a de facto way of of processing, but on the other hand, OTLP, Open Telemetry, and OTLP as the protocol is becoming more and more uh, uh, common. And people are expecting to uh, to be able to uh, set, ship that and be able to ingest that from the other end. So uh, definitely uh, aligned with what you shared with us as well. Uh, and then we're talking about Prometheus. Uh, PromCon uh, will take place in Berlin this year. Uh, the dates have been published. It's at the end of September 28th and 29th. Uh, it will be the eighth annual conference of uh, Prometheus and all the open source ecosystem around it. So Cortex, Thanos, and so on. Uh, it's a good place to hear use cases, uh, case studies, best practices, new features and uh, integrations and so on. Also the integration with OpenTelemetry I just mentioned. Uh, so uh, do check it out if you're uh, into the Prometheus ecosystem. And by the way, uh, there's also an open uh, call for uh, proposals. So if you are uh, also uh, knowledgeable in, in some respect, want to share some of your experience with Prometheus, uh, there's also a good uh, chance still to uh, submit your... Uh, uh, your your proposal there, uh, posting it here also for the uh, live stream audience. Uh, are you going to be at uh, PromCon uh, by any chance, Eduardo? I would love to. I think it will be hard in September to... I, I live here in Costa Rica, moved to Berlin for, for that <laughs> day, but I don't, say, I don't say no, but I would love to. I think that will be, will be good. Uh, nice. Um, we talked about open telemetry before, so open telemetry also some uh, uh, major news, uh, at least for those who are in the core of open telemetry. Uh, open telemetry semantic conventions is now officially separated from the specifications as of the last release. So uh, if you follow the release version 0.21.0 uh, is already a separate semantic conventions and the reason it's important it might sounds like a, a minor thing but uh, the reason it's important is that it's we've all been waiting to uh, get the specification uh, uh, over the maturity finish line and announcing the specification as stable and uh, generally available GA but it always got delayed because of uh, uh, the semantic conventions and especially now that uh, elastic common schema uh, is going to merge into open telemetry so we're going to get all the goodness from the elastic uh, elastic search community and the elk stack community uh, and the knowledge about log uh, uh, semantic conventions into the open telemetry now that it's separate we can uh, 
get the maturity of the specification while still carrying on with the semantic convention. So this is a, a definitely a, a, an interesting one uh, to check out. I actually posted about it uh, just uh, just today. So uh, it's really, really fresh, uh, uh, hot off the press. Uh, Eduardo, what do you think about the motion to, to standardize on a specification and semantic conventions for how a log should look like, how uh, metrics should look like, and so on? especially logs that you've been around logging for so long. <laughs> yeah, I have mixed opinions about it in general, not because, uh, not from the angle of good or bad. It's like from years ago, there's always looking for to have these standards in general, and we always get some struggles, right? And we always ended up with different heterogeneous systems that speaks in different languages, right? And what I'm, all about in is about to support every single standard, every single schema that exists around. Because from my angle, it's not to, to create a standard, but be able to connect these different standards, these different schemas, and always thinking in, in the user that if they are using XYZ, tomorrow they can switch vendor, they can switch protocols, and things will run smoothly. So I'm really happy to see this. Also in the Fluent community, we have again a lot of uh, this request for elastic common schema and other schemas. Uh, this is part of the news for the next release that we're doing in October. <laughs> we are having some layers around that too. But uh, as far as we are adding value to the user, I think that I'm, I'm all in. I don't want to say just, I believe this is a huge standard. This this will fix everything because time sometimes demonstrate that uh, it's not one thing that helps, it's multiple of them. But happy to to learn more about it and yeah, and talk to the community because uh, one thing as even us, right? Releasing software, pitching, this is what you should use. When you go talk to the users, uh, sometimes experience is different. And I would I would love to get that feedback to see how we can help them and all, all maintainers, of course. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, uh, another update uh, uh, on the latest release of Kubernetes 1.1.27. Uh, uh, on the observability side, uh, there's a very important feature. Uh, there's now, uh, it introduced a new feature called node log query that allows viewing logs of the services running on the node. So uh, you can actually use the kubelet API to just query uh, and, and understand the logs. Uh, this is still alpha release of the feature and is behind the feature gate, obviously. But uh, the nice thing, you just run it with kubectl as you would any, any command. Uh, and you can also use filters to compose more, uh, more complex queries. So I think this is something that has been uh, long uh, overdue for uh, uh, Kubernetes users to be able to natively query and understand the uh, and get the logs from uh, their workloads essentially running running Kubernetes. Again, uh, sharing here with the live stream audience, and we'll share that also on the uh, podcast show notes. Um, and uh, last thing uh, before we run out of time, very interesting project that uh, uh, was shared, a uh, project called Kilemetry, K-E-L-E, M-E-T-R-Y. Uh, it's essentially a project for uh, global tracing for Kubernetes control plane. And uh, um, we all know it's uh, Kubernetes is async, it's event-driven, it's declarative. So uh, it's, uh, it's interesting in the context of tracing because the 
typical tracing approach uh, where the spans are the operations ordered by which operation invokes which doesn't really fit well uh, this model. Uh, so it was fascinating to see that Kilometry took a different approach, uh, maybe a bit similar to KSpan for those who are familiar with this open source, where a span is created for the actually not for the operation, but for the Kubernetes object itself. And each event that happens on that object is a child span. Uh, and uh, and Kilometry collects the data from the API server, the audit logs, uh, and, uh, and uses that. So it's a very interesting project. Uh, I'm sharing here uh, an interesting blog post that was posted on the CNCF blog. Uh, have you run into that, uh, that one uh, by any chance, Eduardo? I don't follow the Kubernetes news like in every single release, but I always try to come up with what is new in the observability space. Yeah. But uh, for example, this QLA thing is really interesting, right? Uh, yeah. in, for example, in the past, uh, well, we used, everybody used to saturate the API server to grab you know, the metadata. <laughs> and, but for example, the QLA has the same information, was never exposed. And well, Amazon was doing some work in Fluent uh, with Fluentbit on, the, on that area where now you can extract metadata, but from the QLA, and not saturated API server. So as much power we give to Kubelet, I'm happy. I'm happy to learn about that. So I would like to explore what we can do with it too. From, yeah, from amazing. Different. So uh, thank you very much. I'd like to thank you again for joining me and for joining us and sharing all the uh, latest and greatest with uh, Fluentbit and Fluentd. And uh, can't wait to hear the uh, announcements uh, around the KubeCon. You also had a very good uh, uh, developer uh, week, right? Uh, day a uh, week ago or so, right? So uh, the community has also got uh, FaceTime together. Yeah, we we stayed, we we were we were in Houston like a couple of weeks ago, so we had a private meeting with some kind of, some developers from different companies. So it was a really good experience to understand uh, pains, what we can solve, uh, challenges, and you know, be more work on opening this type of. Uh, instances as a roadmap so yeah, yeah. It, it, it's good to have more FaceTime not just KubeCon and other we need more of this FaceTime with all due respect to the virtual meetings and the uh, the async channels but uh, anyway so thanks a lot for for joining me on this uh, on on this show uh, Eduardo no thank you for having me and I'm happy to to join any time that you want thank you and uh, thank you uh, to all the uh, listeners and audience uh, joining us here on the live stream or on the uh, uh, on the show um, uh, and all the episodes, as always, are uh, available on the favorite on your favorite podcast apps or on YouTube. So uh, uh, do check it out. And uh, if you are listening to uh, this episode uh, on the podcast apps, then do know that we stream the episodes live on Twitch and YouTube live. So you can find all the details uh, on uh, on the Twitter handle at OpenObserve, where you can uh, hear when we're uh, live streaming and to also share your comments, suggestions, news bits. If there's anything interesting that you want me to include. Uh, and uh, with that, I'd like to thank you everyone for listening. I'm Dotan Horvitz and see you at next month's episode.